0: Second Peter three, we'll start at verse 14. Second Peter three, fourteen. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them. Of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as do the as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be glory whom be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Everybody would agree, growth is good. Uh, growth is normal. Growth is natural. I've told you a bunch of times, and I'm sure you had something perhaps at your home. We, we uh, loved growth at our house. I loved to grow. Um, I loved to have my head marked with a pencil so I could see a little bit growth on the wall. And I loved it when I started surpassing my sister's and I was finally getting bigger than them. I was 5'4 until I was 16. And within about six months, I grew about seven and a half, eight inches. So I, it's, it took a long time for me to get the spurt I wanted. But it eventually came. But growth is good. Um, but not everybody grows. Let me give you a little true but funny. There's a thing, this is real, called Peter Pan syndrome. And you know what it is? it's adult men who never grow up and it's actually a real thing that you can actually behave like a child and be really selfish in your 40s and 50s and 60s and they think that it's all because you have a disorder. So there's actually, which is actually quite funny to me because I know a lot of people say you never grow up. So maybe I have Peter Pan syndrome, I don't know. But uh, that's But also there are some serious ones out there which are called under the label of growth disorders. There are people who grow too fast. There are actually people who age too fast, that they are in their 30s, but they look like they're in their 70s. That's actually a disease. Some people grow too slow, and they're way, way later than everybody else in developing. And then there are actually people who either have serious stunting or even stopping of their growth. And there's a disease called MPS that one every, one out of every 164,000 people have it. And I read a testimony of a young lady who stopped growing when she was three feet tall. That was it. She never grew anymore. And she was older than her sister who was five, six, and she was three feet. Um, that was all she'd ever grow. Um, and so... Those are anomalies, right? Those are out of the uh, usual way that things work out in people's world because growth is exciting. It's measurable. It's normal. We expect it. Everybody's, you know, measures that. It's good to see your kids grow. Um, I don't know about you if you're growing up. Did you ever have your mom say to you or maybe your grandmother about when you were trying to grow, maybe you were like 10, 12, 13 years old. If you do this, it'll stunt your growth. Do you ever have that happen to you? How many of you had your, my grandmother told me that if I drank coffee, and she drank multiple cups seemingly every hour, um, she said, if you drink coffee, you will stunt your growth. Anyone have that? You're all normal size to me, right? Now, it's weird because she told me that, but when I had my, my, my kids and, and my mom, my parents, m- my they were giving my daughter coffee when she was three. So McKenzie, till this day, says I'm only five 5'2 because of that. Um, but don't, and then, the, then they said this, when I was growing up in high school and in college, that don't work out really heavy with weights, don't try to get too strong and muscular because it'll stru- stunt your growth, which we found out was, is completely untrue. There is absolutely no truth to that. Um, Then they said, you will grow, you need to grow, drink plenty of milk. How many ever heard that? Plenty of milk? It's not true. So I was coerced into drinking milk all my life. Um, Caffeine hinders growth. You know that's a lie because Mountain Dew has it. So nothing could be true about that one. But that's not true either. And there's a lot of lies about growth. But there's also a lot of, I read on it today, there's a lot of growth uh, similarities between physical growth and spiritual growth both are normal both are expected and both are objective you should be able to observe it and see it so let me ask you are you growing And i don't mean physically (laughs) um, spiritually is it observable is it objective? Wait, wait, let me ask you, if the people who live with you and your family, would they know you're growing? If so, what would they say? How would they say you're growing? How would they measure it? Um, are there growth markers in your life? Are you growing in your understanding and applying of God's word in your prayer life, in your evangelism? Are you growing in holiness and in purity and in discipline? Are you growing in compassion and love and so forth? All right, let me ask you this, parents. Are your children growing if they know the Lord? Are they growing? Do you know if they're growing? Have you put any time into finding out? How would you measure if your children's growing? How do you know if a nine-year-old kid is growing spiritually if they've come to know the Lord? How would you know that? How would you help them grow? Are you doing it? Do they see it in you? My big idea tonight and my message is what you see on the screen. How to grow through what you go through. No matter what you're facing tonight, and I certainly don't know the details of everyone's life, but whatever you're facing tonight, whether it's... There's two things in Peter's epistles, his first and second epistle. They're the two biggest dangers to growth. And one is that you have physical problems or physical issues, and he calls it suffering and persecution. So that would be evil. The other one is doctrinal, and that is error. So that's what they were going through. Now, I don't know what you're going through tonight, but here's what God's design is. Whatever trial, whatever temptation, whatever test that you're facing, God wants you and desires for you, like Peter did his readers, to grow through what you're going through. We live in a culture today that both of those things are becoming more relevant and more commonplace all the time, that you're going to be attacked and maybe even suffer for your faith eventually in this country, or errors. There are errors that contradict the Scriptures that are constantly being propagated and peddled off even in our churches as being truth. So it goes without saying, doesn't it, that spiritual growth is absolutely necessary as a Christian. Now, in our text, if you'll turn there, Peter is the right person to pen these words and to be an example for us, and let me show you what I mean by that. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, and that's the Greek word prognosis, what you mean, you tell you ahead of time, take care, guard that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, and here's the phrase, and lose your own stability. If you read the Greek text In Jesus's conversation with Peter when he denied him and when he was going to be forecasting by Jesus to deny him he said Peter when you have returned strengthen your brethren and the word strengthen is the same word here for stability it's the word we get in English steroids Um, here's what he's saying in both passages one a noun and one is a verb that be careful that you don't fall away in your life from a position of strength and stability. No one's better at giving us a testimony about what it took or what happened in your life to fall away from a strength or position of strength than Peter. Uh, And and you you know this story as well as I do. Um, Have you ever heard someone, in fact, I would say recently, uh, Alan, Joan, other people who have given their testimony, you know, it's one thing for... A pastor to give a testimony or a person to give a testimony about how their life has changed or about a certain issue. And we had Chuck's testimony for, you know, as well. Um, But you hear people and now you get it, see, because they've actually experienced it. Right. They've actually gone through this or that or the other. And you know that it's real for them. It's not theory. It's not just principle. It's not abstract. It's real. Because they did it, they were there, they conquered, they've gone past that in their lives. And their testimony is even that more meaningful because of it. Peter is that guy. If he wants to tell you, hey, I know what it was like to not grow through what I was going through. But eventually I did. And the Lord, by his grace, helped me turn it around. And let me tell you, I'm going to give you some insight and some instructions. If you listen to my testimony from experience I fell from a position of strength. I really did. The number one disciple. Jesus let me walk on water. I mean, all the things that he had going for me, he said, but you know, I threw it all away. And you know why? Because I wasn't growing. I wasn't growing. So you not growing tonight is not just that you might miss out on a couple of blessings. Oh, can I tell you tonight? And I hope by the time I'm done in these few minutes we have that you'll see just how serious And truthfully, to be honest with you, impossible for the true child of God to not grow. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, if you'll look there, those two verses, and then we're going to give some applications from the context at the very end. If you look at how the structure of these two verses are put together in this brief little paragraph, you'll find that there are two imperatives, a little grammar because it always helps. There's two imperatives, meaning two commands. The first one is, if you look at verse 17, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. And that word, take care, is the first imperative. It literally means to guard. It's a word that was commonly used in scripture and outside of scripture to talk about people who were in jail or in prison. And it was the job of the officer or the jailer to keep them in their cells so they would not escape. That's the context, or the picture of this word. Here's what the Bible says. That the first responsibility you have in growth is not positive. It's a negative one. There are things in your life that you cannot let in, right? You have to protect. This is a word that talks about protecting. It's not letting someone escape. This is not letting truth into your life, not truth, lies, lies into your life. That's why he says, beware, because here's the first problem with growing, where you're believing a lie. (laughs) This is why on Sunday night, in the last six weeks, we've done a series called Cultural Critique, because our world is full of insidious lies that a lot of people in our culture have, I can't even tell you the number of Christian names that you would know celebrity-wise. Large churches, people are changing their views constantly. This is not a world problem only. This is a church problem I can't tell you the high-profile names of pastors who now believe it's okay for women to be preachers, that homosexual marriage is justified, transgender is okay. I I can go on and on about the people who believe now those things are okay when their whole lives they stood against them. Because one of the biggest hindrances and dangers to growth on the negative side of things is the first command. We are no longer guarding ourselves. And we are not guarding our children And so here he says, the first thing he wants to say this is, Peter says, "Don't." but I want you to know what he doesn't say. Ready? He doesn't say, don't fall from a position of strength and grow up in your salvation. He doesn't say that. Very carefully read it. He says this, don't fall from a position of strength, but grow in grace. You see, it's not the connective word and, it's but say, well, why does that matter? What does that mean, Pastor Walker? Very powerful. Listen to this. He's saying this, falling and growing are incompatible. In other words, it's this or you will do this. You cannot be falling from your position of strength and growing at the same time. You cannot buy into lies and be living the truth at the same time. You can't. He says, if there's, I would say it this way to remember it for me, no guarding, no growing. See, that's what we're to do. Both imperatives are in this passage. There are two. Why? Because you can't have the one without the other. Spiritual growth, listen to me, is two-sided. It is always things that you do not believe or you do not do, as well as things as you believe and you do as well. It's two-sided. You remember the days, I remember this, I can literally, and I don't have a lot of great memories from 10 and below, I don't know why, but when I was about five, six years old, I remember getting a bicycle for Christmas, and then when the weather was good, what do you get on your bike so that you can know how to ride it because you're not good at it? training wheels, right? I got training wheels, and I remember that. And I remember going to kindergarten. I don't know how I remember this, but getting mocked. You're still driving. You're riding a bike with training wheels. What are you? You know, I guess somehow I should be driving a car at the age of five or something. But I remember the training wheels, and I remember remember riding around loving it until the day my dad said, oh, you know what? We're going to take the training wheels off today. I said, what? It was like my whole world was turned upside down, right? And so He goes, okay, he took out the tools, he took them off, and I got on the bike, and I go, what am I supposed to do? He goes, well, it doesn't change. You still ride your bike the same way. I go, I know, but I could fall. Because when you're riding a two-wheel bike, here's what the options are. You either go forward or you, you fall off, right? That's spiritual growth in Peter's words. You're either going forward, you're either growing or you're falling off. See, it isn't one or the other. Isn't a little falling off and a little growing?" he says. No. It's knowing and growing and working it all out together. Um, that's what Peter says is what we have to do. Keep our guarding and our growing together. Now, now I'm going to be really practical with you, ready? Both of the dangers that Peter talks about in 1 and 2 Peter, both evil done to you and errors given to you, have a pattern. And here's how you need to do it, and I'm going to encourage you to do this when you teach your children. I'll give you an example. Hot topics. Transgenderism. There is a lifestyle, right? There's a lifestyle part to it. And we get all upset when people do uh, gender change surgeries, and, and rightfully so, and all that goes with that. And we tell people, oh, I would never do that. or we would, we, No one should ever do that. Children shouldn't be allowed to do that. And all those things are true. And that's the lifestyle part of it. But there is a lie part of it. And one author, I said, the lie style. And <laughs> he called it the lie style. And that is the lie behind it. Do you know why it's wrong to transgender? Or you just say, hey, that's not right. No one should do that. That's awful. Who would ever think? Okay, but why is it wrong? Because it's a lie. Why is it a lie? Because here's the, you design you. That's the new rule out there. You design, you determine who you are. And what is it ultimately? It is a rebellion against the authority of God who said you were made in my image. And I designed you and I gave you your gender and I assigned it to you. You cannot reassign it. So what I want to tell my kids is, yeah, it's wrong and it's bad and it could ruin your life, But I also want to tell you, and the lie behind it is it's not true in God's word. So I want my kids to know that. And we need to know that. Can I say it to you? And that's why we study our Bible. Did you know studying your Bible doesn't make you spiritual and it doesn't make you grow? Just knowing anything, it doesn't do it. It's when you know it and you do it. Another time, maybe... We could spend, my view of meditation and not devotions, but meditation is that you haven't really done it unless you have taken time to purposely, intentionally have a way that day of doing what you've studied. If you're not doing equally as much as you are studying, then you're just studying. And the Bible becomes mere academics. And it's never meant to be that. Homosexuality, it has a lifestyle with it. Same-sex attraction and all that goes with it But there's a lie behind it. The lie today is that it doesn't matter whether it's a man and a man and a woman and a man. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is love defined by a personal commitment. And it's a lie. That is not what the Bible says about that. And it's not right. And it can't be condoned. And it's not antiquated. And it's not progressive. It's unbiblical. Abortion. Abortion, lifestyle. This, out of my inconvenience, I'm allowed to murder children. That's the behavior. But we need to know this, and need to tell our. You know what the lie behind it is? That it's your body. Have you ever seen people picketing inside? It's my body, my choice. No, it isn't. In First Corinthians six nineteen, it says, "You are not your own. Glorify God in your body." That the life inside of you is not simply a fetus. It is a life from conception, and you have no right to do anything to it. But see, we could go on and talk about euthanasia, assisted suicide, racism, women preachers, on and on. But let me tell you this. I'm going to tell you straight out tonight. You will not be able to, to have, uh, do right in your situations until you do right with the scriptures. This whole passage about growing is steeped in 1st and 2nd Peter, saturated with the concept of everything that you do revolves around scripture, whether it's calling it general epistles, whether it's calling it graphia, or writings in the New Testament, whether it's called the word of God, whether it's quotes from the Old Testament, over and over again, 1st Peter and 2nd Peter says you want to go through grow through what you go through, you have to be a bible soaked, bible saturated, dominated person. And hear me again, it is not just because I read it for 5 minutes it's not, five, it's not opening my Bible and getting a, a nice verse or a passage and a thought and I think about it for a couple of minutes to go on my way. You can't grow. You can't microwave spiritual growth. You can't. It, when, when you're first saved when you're 10, that might be okay for a while. But not, not when you're 50, 60, not when you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. No, it can't be. It can't be. Because if you're not really growing, see, you're in big trouble. Big trouble, the Bible says. So he says to us, if you want to keep from falling into error and lies, you better know this book inside and out. And so I can tell you this. The people I have to talk to on a regular basis about lies they believe are people who don't know the scriptures very well at all. I mean, at all. And it's not about whether you memorize the verse and can repeat the reference, too. I mean, I get how hard that can be. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about knowing it into the place where you know what it says and about the questions of life, and you are living it, and you are doing it, you are practicing it. So in contrast to falling into lies is growing in the truth. So look at verse 18. The emphatic word, the very first word in the sentence in English is not what it is in the original. The first word is grow because it's the emphasis. You know how you counteract lies in your family and in your life and don't buy into the culture around you? You know how you do? You grow. Grow in what? Well, there are two spheres. Read them for yourself. You grow in grace. Number one. Number two, in knowledge. Let me tell you real quickly what they are, and I'll do the applications. Grace is used at the beginning and the end. Verse one, Chapter 1, verse 2, 3, 18 to this book. It encapsulates it. It's like bookends. Grace is the concept, and it's not grace that I'm kind and gracious too much. It, what it means is, as Peter says it in chapter 2, verse 2 of his first epistle, that you should desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby up into your salvation. So when he uses the word only twice, 1 Peter 2, 2, and in this verse, growing means growing up in your salvation. Grace is what frames your whole Christian life. You're saved by grace. You're sanctified by grace. You are glorified by grace, by God working in you. It's his favor and his blessing on you. And that's how you grow. And that's how you grow every single day. It's his grace in your life. Therefore, if he has worked in you by his grace and saved you, can I tell you, you read the Bible, it's a package deal. There is no justification without sanctification. And sanctification leads to glorification. And if grace is it from top to bottom, then you have to have the whole package. So it's not right and we would consider it abnormal like we would see someone with MPS or someone who is way too lo- older looking for what they are truthfully. We would all say, that's just not right. That doesn't seem- that's not right at all. That's not normal. It is not normal, nor does it truly exist, to have a Christian who never grows. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as a Christian who never grows spiritually. It's not possible. Because the grace that saved you is also the same grace that works in you to sanctify. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have problems. We're going to talk about the applications real quick. It doesn't mean it's not gradual. It doesn't mean that you go up and down and you have your times. Of course, we all do. But go look at the Bible and study this word, mature. Go put it in the English on ESV and study the seven texts that talk about completeness and maturity. It's expected in the Bible by God's grace because he's the one working in you. Can I give you one more text? You are to work at it. In Peter's book, in 2 Peter, in chapter 1, three times, verse 5, 10, and 15, and then our text, chapter 3 and verse 14, he uses this little Greek word, be diligent. It means to be intense about it. I mean, to really, really go after it. And he says to many times in the first chapter, here's what you do. Take every caution to add to your faith. So he says, if you want to grow, and he lists all of these things that you should be growing. Add this to this. Add this to this. Add this to this. You know what that is? That's growth. And he says, here's what you do. Really, really work hard at it, he says. And verse 10, if you really, really are diligent and work hard at it, here's what he says. You will have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. Because you'll be demonstrating as a Christian that you're growing, and that really demonstrates that you are one. And the idea is, if you're not growing, it probably demonstrates you are not. Right? And so in our text, verse 14, if you look there real quick, he says this. Therefore, since you are writing for these, be diligent. Be diligent to be found in him. Blameless. Living a holy life. Be diligent at it. Listen, everybody, your admonition tonight we have to be diligent about being Christians be diligent about following Jesus hear me be diligent about the word of God okay I don't have as much time as I thought All right, let me show I'm going to give you an example and I'm going to use myself but don't for a second I don't hardly ever do this because it's not because what I do is spiritual better than you or different than what you do okay I've taken my everything I do I've taken from the Bible or somewhere or someone else so it's not me I've, I've just made a part of my life, okay? Here's what, I, for me, I want to tell you what diligent looks like, all right? When I get up in the morning, in um, fact, they do this on The Chosen, if you watch that show. Jesus got out of bed one time staying at someone's house, and the first thing he did when he set up is he gave God a praise. So I do that. Um, so then I go downstairs, and the first thing I do is I read the Bible, and I do 30 minutes and I study, and I I work at it really hard, and I don't leave there without coming up with an intentional thing. This is what I'm going to do today to do that truth. And then I check on myself in the middle of the day to see whether I've done it or not. You'd be amazed how much you love the Bible when you see that you're doing it and it changes your life. But why would you love the Bible if you don't hardly ever read it or you read it and it doesn't do anything in your life? Why would you keep doing it? It's just a, a duty after all that, right? So then after that, on my way out, I, and then I spend time in prayer. And I pray three times. I pray about the little circle in my life closest to me. Then I pray about my church circle. And then I pray about the world circle throughout the day. And then by my doors, front and back, I've put a mezuzah. You know what that is? It's a little teeny um, decorative on your right-hand side of the door, if you're if you're Orthodox Jew. <laughs> and then you take it out. Inside is a Torah scroll, a little piece of paper with the Shema in it. And you don't ever get it out. You just know it's in there. And so every day, if you ever came and I would leave to go to work, I put my fingers on it and I bow and I pray because the little Hebrew letters on it are El Shaddai, meaning God is all powerful. And I ask, I tell him every day, I know you're powerful. You can help me face anything today to bring glory to you as I leave. And so because I live next door, I go over there and I come back for lunch and I come back for lunch and I come, oh yeah, I really need that book so I can go to my office and I get a book. And every time I come by the door, I do that. Now, imagine doing that for me probably four or five, six times a day. So now I get it. So, guess what I've, happens to me when things come up in my life now by habit? The first thing out of my mouth is, Oh God, I know that you can do anything today. I know that you can handle this situation. Why? Because I say it six times a day, right? So, when I come home at night, And I also review my day in my mind about what I did. Did I do it? If I didn't do it, I'm going to do it tomorrow. And and I don't read the same. I read the same scripture and study the same passage every day of the week for a week. I don't go to a new one every day because I can't live 365 truths. But I can probably tackle one a week. So I do it all the time. But let let me tell you, I tell you my example. Not that you can say, oh, wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. But I can tell you this. It means diligent. That's what diligent means. And I can tell you, if you're ever interested, I can tell you this. I don't just read the Bible. I read, there's this, I read the Bible, I study the Bible, I memorize the Bible, and I do them all at the same time. You've, I probably can, I could, like you could, I could probably quote a lot of verses, and I have hardly ever in my life sat down and tried to memorize them, except when I had to do it for the book of James and the book of Philippians, which I had to do the whole things. Um, but most of the time, all the verses, you know why? Because when you memorize it after doing it probably 20-sometimes a week. I read it every morning, the same one, and then I dissect it, and by the time you're done in a week, I've memorized it, and then I didn't even try to, per se. But, th- but to me, see, but let me tell you, I tell you all of that, not because you're going to go home and say, what did he say? Now i got to do this. And I gotta, that's not the idea. The idea is, how, what is diligent for you? What is diligent for you? Because here's what he says, you gotta know the truth and live the truth or you will start believing the lie because there is no middle ground between falling and growing, he says. So grow in grace, in knowledge. I basically did it for you, but read and study the word I can't do anymore. Knowledge on the rest of the book of Second Peter. Last ones. I'm gonna r- rifle through them because I have two, maybe three minutes. Ready? Six applications. Number one, spiritual growth is relational, Chapter 3, verse 1, 8, 14, 15, 17, all you work, use the word beloved. Can I tell you this? Listen, you did the right thing tonight in coming to church because the Bible doesn't know anything about spiritual growth outside of a community or just privately by yourself. The best spiritual growth you could ever have in your life is that when you're growing on your own, but you come in here and help everybody else helps you grow. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have D groups. Why? Because beloved, it's the community. All the growth and keeping yourself from lies, hearing the truth, keeping each other living the truth. You know what? We need each other to live the Christian life. You can't really grow like you should apart from God and his people. And his people. So he says beloved, not in chapter one, not in chapter two, but all through chapter three. It's the marker of every heading, of every change of subject. And it's the one that we have in our passage. Number two, spiritual growth is scriptural. Contrasting, you grow in the grace and knowledge, contrasting it with what? The preceding verse is about people who take Paul's letters that are hard to understand and twist them. Twist them. It's like scoliosis. It's like your spine that's twisted. He says they take the Bible and they twist it. And so do you understand why you can't listen to the Jehovah Witnesses that come to your door and the Mormons? Do you understand why Catholicism, which is inundated in our culture, why it's wrong? Why don't we view communion like that? Do you understand how to talk to them? Do you understand why you're not one of them? Scripture. Spiritual growth number three is essential. Did you notice how the phrase ends in verse 18? It says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're growing when you are constantly reading the word and submitting yourself to the Savior who is your Lord. Growing, one of the measures, the greatest measures, in my opinion, of your spiritual growth is more and more of my life being submitted under the Lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ. Him more telling me what to do and how to live my life and following the patterns of Scripture and people in the Scriptures in order to live that way in obedience. Number four, spiritual growth is gradual. Chapter 1 and verses 5 through 10 say this, supplement your faith, add to it. And then it has all these lists of it. And he says, I need to remind you of this. He says over and over again, why? Because it's gradual. It takes time to grow. You don't expect someone who's two to act like a 20-year-old. But you don't expect a 40-year-old to act like a 20-year-old. And if you're 80 or you're 60, you shouldn't be acting like you're 20. Right? And you should know more and be more mature and more godly than you've ever been in your whole life because it's gradual that's why we have to be diligent at it five spiritual growth is practical the word grow in knowledge is not say store up more information can i listen i say it all time it's not information it's transformation that knowledge is after knowledge first corinthians 8 puffs up you just get a big head look at me i'm the ace on the bible quiz knowledge in the bible is what you do with it it's wisdom wisdom Practicing it, putting it into your life. Lastly, number six, spiritual growth is doxological. By that it means, it says at the very end, to him be the glory from now unto the day of eternity. Can I tell you this? How do you say, Pastor Walker, how do you keep doing all that? How do you keep studying and reading the books and and praying and disciplining and working? You know why? Because I'm doing both now and I'm looking forward to the day of eternity See, if you're going to grow, you have to have goals. Listen, not only goals now, but goals that went, see, the Bible says, and someday I will see him and I will be like him, 1 John 3, 2, for I will see him as he is. Someday I'm going to see him and I will be completely like him. And you know what that means? So what do I do until the day of eternity? Every day I'm moving in that direction more conformed to his image, more like him. And the only way I can be like him is to know him. And the only way I can know him is through this book. And so it is everything. Everything. It's doxological. So put it together. You want to, this is how I remember it in my mind this week. Really, I put it together. Guarding, growing, glorifying those are the three ways I put it into practice and I remembered it that way. That's a little tool that I use at times as well. But I encourage you, take some inventory of your life. In fact, this year for prayer week, we're going to hand out how you can spiritually take an inventory of your life during prayer week. Take a look at your life and ask, myself, ask yourself, and be honest, painfully so. Am I growing more this mo- year than I did last year? This month than I did last month? Five years ago, am I more in control of my temper that goes from zero to 60? Am I more patient in the fruit of the Spirit being more in my life? Am I working on it? Am I diligent about it? How diligent, how serious am I? Because maybe the equivalent of how serious I am is how much I'm growing by God's grace. All of it. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us. Oh, it's, it's our responsibility to be diligent and read the Bible and get soaked in it and saturated in it and intoxicated with it. But not just to know it, because we want to know you. We open the Bible up to know you, to be like you. Oh God, give us an insatiable hunger and thirst. Jesus said, don't labor for the food that perishes but for that which ends up in eternal life. Father, help us at Faith Baptist Church to be people of the book because we are people of its author. And it's his name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.